Let us pray together. Psalm 139 tells us, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in before, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become a night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Heavenly Fathers, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here as a church to worship you once again. Lord, without the cross, without the shedding of the blood, the blood that washes away all sins, Lord, who can stand before your holy presence right now? Lord, we do not come here to worship you with the thought that, God, that we deserve to be here. But we come with humility and brokenness, God, realizing, God, without the cross, without the blood that was shed for us, we cannot be here today to worship you. Thank you for the bridge that you have brought back together for us to to join with our Holy Father. God, thank you, Father, that God, that you became our mediator so that we can pray to the one who loves us and the one who cares for us. So God, we do not take this new day for granted, but we want to come with a humble heart right now and ask God that you speak to us, God, this afternoon. And as we transition to the message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts for those who are listening to the word of God, I pray, God, it will be pleasing in your sight. For, God, you are our rock and our redeemer. We love you, Lord. Speak to us, God, for we are hungry and desperate for another touch. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things. In your precious son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And Amen. Welcome, church. Uh, it's good to be here again on a new day, new Sunday, new Sabbath, uh, that we're here to gather together as a family of Christ to worship together. 
Uh, we have now two sermons left, I think, uh, with our Job series. We're now in Job series part 15. I believe with the Philippians series, we got up to 12, I think. I'm not really sure. 12? Yes, we got up to 12. But I think we're going to end it around 16 or 17. We're almost there. And now we're in part 15. And the title of today's message is called Elihu, Josiah, Age Matters Not. Age Matters Not. We have two main characters today, Elihu, which is found in the book of Job. And then we're going to talk about Josiah as our second main character, which I'm going to talk about after I speak about Elihu. Now, the first part where Elihu speaks is found in Job chapter 32. And then he talks all the way until Job chapter 37. So I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 32. And I'm going to ask the congregation to read chapter 37 together as a church. So I'm going to begin starting with chapter 32. It begins with this. In verse 1, it says, So these three men stopped answering Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, and Buzite, of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends, because they had found no way to refute Job, and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was roused. Now he's the youngest out of all the people that is there, that is present in that story. So who here is the youngest here? Ronnie? Yes, Ronnie. Arnie's like, oh, really? Yeah, Ronnie. I think Ronnie's the youngest. So Ronnie, he's just waiting until all the older youngs and Nunas, they speak, and then he speaks last. It says he was very angry. Right, let's go to verse 6. So Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzai, said, I am young in years, and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak. Advanced ears should teach wisdom, but it is a spirit in a person, remember that, it is a spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. Again, we talked about wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. It has nothing to do with your physical ears on this earth. But it is a spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right, Therefore I say, listen to me, I too will tell you what I know. I waited while you spoke, I listened to your reasoning, while you are searching for words. I gave you my full attention, but not one of you has proved Job wrong. None of you has answered his arguments. Do not say we have found wisdom. Let God, not a man, refute him. But Job, not marshal his words against me, and I will not answer him with your arguments. They are dismayed and have no more to say. Words have failed them. Must I wait now that they are silent, now that they stand there with no reply? I too will have my say. I too will tell what I know. For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Inside I am like bottled up wine, like new wineskins ready to burst. 
I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. I will show no partiality, nor will I flatter anyone. For if I were skilled in flattery, my maker will soon take me away. Eliud the Buzite, the youngest out of the three friends, he speaks again from chapter 32 to 37. People judge us according to our age. However, I'm here to remind us, I'm here to remind us that physical age is just a number. It has nothing to do with your wisdom. Elihu who here is the youngest, he who here is the bystander, out of the three, he brings a new perspective, and he's the only one that is now rebuked by God at the end. And God will start speaking in chapter 38. God starts speaking right away. It's kind of funny because I feel like Elihu in, in the end, like he's about to say more, but God comes and he cuts him and then, but he definitely rebukes all of the other friends, right? Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Elihu, he is the youngest and he's the only one that is not condemned by God. Am I saying what? Everything he's saying is correct? No, there are certain things that he says that are wrong. But he is the only one that is not rebuked by God from chapter 32 to 37, and when God comes in in chapter 38. Elihu, before God comes and intervenes, as he ends the speech in 37, which I'm going to ask the congregation to read, he was pretty much saying this. He was saying to have faith in your suffering is much better than for you to pursue understanding in your suffering. I'll say that again. To have faith in your suffering is much better than for you to pursue, to have understand, to understand why you're suffering, to ask the questions, to have the answers. To have faith is much greater than for you to have the desire to understand the reason for your suffering. And he gives this beautiful picture where he talks about the nature. The nature and look, look at every details in all of God's creation. It reveals God's sovereignty in all of history, in all of creation, in the present, what we see today. You know, even Romans chapter 1, it speaks about that, the beauty of God's creation. How can people not know that a God exists just by looking at the nature of the things that's happening around the world? Now, we're not going to read everything because it's long, but we're going to fast forward and go to chapter 37, and now I'm going to ask the congregation to read it together for me. Ready? One, two, three. At this, my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of its voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sound of his roar. He thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing in back. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain shower, give a mighty downpour. So that everyone he has made may know his work, he stops all people from their labor. The animals take cover, they remain in their dens. The tempest just comes out from its chamber, the cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice, and the broad waters become frozen. He blows the clouds with moisture, he scatters his lightning through them. 
or to water his breath and show his love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge. You who sculpture in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind. Can you join in, in spreading out the skies, cards and mirror of past bronze? Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our face because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? But if anyone asks to be swallowed up, now no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies, after the wind has swept them clean. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he is not oppressed. Therefore, people revere him. For does he not have regard for all the lives in his heart? And then literally in chapter 38, God comes and cuts him off. Right. So now... Let's go to our next main character. Again, uh, Elihu is the youngest out of the three, out of, out of all the people there with Job, out of all the four, right? Now comes the next character that I want to tie in the message together, and his name is Josiah. With the title of today's message, Age Matters Not. Age Matters Not. And there's really no one else like this guy, this king named Josiah. Now, why is there no one like him? You'll see. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1 to 3. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1 to 3. And it gives us an introduction of this man, this young boy, and his name is Josiah. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Your mouth just opens and drops because you're in shock. An eight-year-old becoming king. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And here's what's amazing in verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. For the young people here in this room, let me get a shout. Oh, you're all old, huh? We got shot. The young people, ready? One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah, weak, weak, weak. Weak young people. It says, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. So it is a blessing when you know the, lo the love of God, when you encounter God at a young age. Again, the context here of what's happening in this story is that spiritually, physically, morally, politically, the nation of Judah and Israel, it was a mess. The situation here, it was a mess. There was all kinds of nations around, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, they were all fighting to be number one, the powerhouse of this world. And Israel and Judah, they were right in the smack in the middle of it. So in life, it's not about how you begin, but it's about how you finish. And Josiah, truly, he does both. He begins well, he lives well, and he also ends his life well. It says in 2 Kings 23 to 25, it gives another reference of Josiah. And it says, never before had there been a king like Josiah. 
who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength. I'll say it again. With all his heart, soul, and strength, obeying all the laws, not some of the laws, all the laws of Moses, and there's never been a king like him since. And we understand who he is and what an amazing boy, what an amazing man, what an amazing legacy he had left. Think about it at the age of eight. I mean, think how immature you are at the age of eight. When I was at the age of eight, I was in second grade. I came from Korea here. I was crying on the plane because I didn't want to come to America. I remember when we came to New York City in Cape Town, I remember this clearly because I thought that was going to be my last day. As I was eating naengmyeon, I was choked. I literally choked on the naengmyeon. Naengmyeon these days, it's like lighter, but back then it was like made out of rock. I don't know, and I was choking. I thought I was going to die. I was trying to get it out, trying to get it out. In New York City, I was like, this is my end. I saw my life flashing, and then I got it out, and I was fine. That's how immature you are. You can't even chew naengmyeon. Imagine at the age of eight becoming king. Having that much power, having that much responsibility. And this man, it says, not only he began at a young age seeking God with all of his heart, but he lived his life well throughout his life, and he also finished his life well. So the question, what is your spiritual age? Again, age, physical age matters not. What is your physical age today? What was Elihu's and Josiah's spiritual age? They were definitely mature beyond their physical years. Even though Elihu, he was the youngest. Even Josiah, he was the youngest king, youngest boy to ever become king in history. He was, he was not, his maturity, his spiritual maturity had nothing to do with his physical age. Even Jesus himself, he was very young when he started his ministry at the age of 30, when his life ended at the age of 33, when he went against Sadducees, he went against these older Pharisees, these teachers of the law, he went against the system, the political system that was happening at that time. Jesus literally, he changed his vision and he changed the world forever. Jesus' spiritual age, his maturity, was beyond his physical age. Jesus was humble, but yet he was confident even though he was young, he was confident with his convictions. And he knew his purpose, why he had come on this earth. Some of you today in your workplaces, you may be the youngest. Or in the places where you are, you may have always been the youngest. Even for me, even when I was a youth group pastor, even when I was a pastor, even among the staff, I was always among the youngest. Even in the presbytery, in the group, I was the youngest. And it doesn't matter. Age has nothing to do with anything. Again, it's about your spiritual maturity. Even our church, with the church plan, we started this at a very young age, and here we are. Age has nothing to do with it. Physical age and maturity has nothing to do with our spiritual age. Here are some signs of spiritual maturity. And this is not on the screen, but it's just, I'm going to just briefly just go quickly. And number one is, it's not about me. When you come to church, it's not about me. You say, it's not about me. A person who has reached spiritual maturity is not preoccupied with the self. But it is always about God. You come to church not because of you, but you come to church for God. You're not here for entertainment purposes. Oh, they're not playing the song that I like. 
They're not playing it the way that I like. You're preoccupied with pleasure, receiving what you want for yourself. But you come to church for God, and that's it. That alone matters the most. It doesn't matter whether you got sleep the night before, whether you messed, you had a terrible week where you sinned. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And you come to church for him. That's a sign number one of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity sign number two is I choose the servant route. You serve others. You don't come to church to be served, but you come to serve others as Jesus served us. 1 Peter 4, 10, 11 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. I choose the servant route. Number three, I look vertically, never horizontally. When you're looking horizontally, there are times where you're like Saul, where you're head taller than everyone else, and he starts looking down on people. But the Bible is very clear that David was not very tall, that he was a humble man, but he was also good-looking as well. It shows his humility. He's able to see God vertically always. Never look horizontally, comparing yourself to other people. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. When you do not compare yourself to others, but you compare yourself to yourself, to the mirror that you're looking at. Who are you? Behind the closed doors. Vertically. Look up. Number four. I am not deceived by fleshy teachings. False doctrines. False theology. You fall in love with the word of God. Sola Scriptura. The Word of God is the main thing, the beginning and the end. First John chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Number five, I hate sin. You start to hate sin. There's no way. A, a spiritual mature individual cannot hasten. I hasten. You realize you cannot continue in your sin anymore. You cannot continue to indulge in your desire for evil. You go and you sin no more. You hate it. You cannot continue it any longer. You start to hasten. That is a sign of spiritual maturity. Number six, justice stirs. It awakens within me. You have a sense of doing what's right. You cannot stand wrongdoings. You start to hate any injustices. People who take advantage of the weak, you start hating those things. It's like Psalm 1. What does it say in Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. But his or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
You don't walk with the wicked. You have a sense of justice and righteousness in your heart of doing what is right. Next, number seven, my path is love. No longer about revenge, but it's about love. As Christ loved me, I love. Eight, I enter the presence of God with repentance in the banner of truth. I enter the presence of God with, with repentance under the banner of truth. What do I mean by that? You come to God with a repentant heart. Yes, I am a hypocrite. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, my feelings and emotions are telling me otherwise that I am no good, that I do not deserve his grace to be in, to enter into his presence, into his loving arms. But here I am. I stand in the banner of truth. What is the banner of truth? That if I come to God with a repentant heart, as David did in Psalm 51, God, he accepts us. And that is the truth. You understand the truth of God, the banner of truth. You enter the presence of God with, with repentance under the banner of truth. And lastly, thanksgiving always. You're always thankful. A heart of thanksgiving is priceless. Is a priceless heart to have. Those are some signs of a spiritual, mature individual. And with that, I have three points for us. Starting with point number one. And I want you to hang tight with me because point one is going to be a little bit long because there's going to be some reading. But we need to read in order for us to have a full understanding of Josiah. Okay, so starting with number one. Point number one is this. Do not sell yourself short of your godly convictions. Do not sell yourself short of your godly convictions. Josiah was not a sellout to his godly convictions. He kept his convictions pure and holy before God. A lot of times, we make our own convictions, our human convictions, and we make it more valuable, more important than God's convictions. And some of us, God is calling us right now to live a holy life. Not a life that is indulged in sin and compromises. Right? A lot of times we go clubbing, we get drunk, we smoke, and then at the same time we compromise, we come to church, we act holier than thou. I'm not saying that if you do these things, you're doomed forever. My point is, what is your attitude and your heart? How do you approach these sins? Do you admit that you're a hypocrite? Just come honest before God. But know his convictions. Allow God's convictions to be greater than your own personal convictions. You ask the Holy Spirit to give the right convictions. And you study the word of God. Josiah, his convictions, godly convictions, it brought about an action to live a godly life which brought change not only to his own life, but brought change to the life of the whole nation, the people that were under him. For example, a good leader is someone who influences not just himself, who does things for himself, 
but someone who influences the people who are following, who are in the same team. You know, Antonia mentioned sometimes that, like, I used to drink a lot of coffee, right? And then people who didn't drink coffee, we all started drinking coffee. But now I literally quit coffee, cold turkey. I don't drink coffee anymore. I drink tea. So we don't have coffee. We used to have, like, those special makers. We used to, like, do these things. And I feel bad because we, like, spend money on those things. But I even have, like, these coffee beans that, you know, that Andy got me, Josh got me. And because, you know, they thought I love coffee. And it's just still in my cupboard. And I don't know what to do with them. Maybe we'll like do something fun with it, I don't know. But my point is, you don't only just influence yourself, but you bring change in your family, in the places around you, and you are an influencer in the people that you are influencing. But you're not doing it because, oh, I wanna be a superstar, but it's just a lifestyle that you live and happens naturally. A team is only strong as its leader and is also only as strong as its weakest link even with the praise team. If the leadership is nervous, then the team will be nervous. That's how a team works. There's no I, but it's us working together. So Josiah here, he truly brings godly convictions, not just to his life, but to the people that are under him, to his whole nation. So let's take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 3 to 13. I'm gonna go ahead and read. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. So just to have an understanding what those mean, high places, Asherah poles, and idols. These are worship places to idol gods, to not the God of Yahweh, not Jehovah, but to other gods. These are pagan practices, right? So Asherah poles, idols, high places, these are places that God hates, God detests. So he began to purge them, he began to destroy it. Verse 4, under his direction, his leadership, the altars of the bells were torn down, he cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them, and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the grave of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem in the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple. He sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder to repair the temple of the Lord, his God. Verse 9, they went to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites were the gatekeepers had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 10, Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers, repaired and restored the temple, 
They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dressed stone and timber for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The workers labored faithfully. Over them to direct them were Jeheth and Obadiah, Levites descended from Merari and Zechariah and Meshulam descended from Kohath, the Levites, all who were skilled and playing musical instruments, had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and gatekeepers. Now starting from verse 9 to verse 13, I know it's a lot of things right in there, but this is very important. When they began to repair the temple of God, everybody was in it together. It didn't matter whether you played the instrument, it didn't matter whether you were a person who was, who was doing the physical work of the carpenter work, whether you're doing the labor, it didn't matter. They were all in it together, and it came from Josiah's leadership. And, it, and it's important here that in verse 10, they entrusted the men appointed to supervise the work of the Lord's temple. These men pay the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dressed stone, timber, and joists, and beans for the building that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. Now, what's important here is that Josiah is not in control of the finances. Obviously, he is in it. He is the king. But he's not the one that's hoarding the money. He entrusted his men to go ahead and take care of the finances, and then they, they used it accordingly. So we see here a lot of integrity, a lot of honesty, and a lot of teamwork here in this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 3 to 13. He destroyed everything, and he started to rebuild the temple, and everyone came together. And we see what an amazing this man was, Josiah. Again, he is very young. He began to seek. He began to purify, destroying pagan shrines, Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images. He ordered the altars of Baal to be demolished, broken down. There's strong words here. Scattered, smashed, burned, destroyed, crushed, cut down, all action words. He began to purify, repair. He entrusted the money. He was not greedy for money. He hired, he restored. They all served faithfully under one leadership. Everybody were given, they were given assignments to do. They inquired more on the words written on the, on the law of God. And, and, the, and the word of God was the foundation. They realized that they had been doing everything wrong. And they had to reorder their life. Restart their life from the beginning again and again. So godly conviction, it leads to change. It brings about a heart of repentance to change. Let's continue on. Second Chronicles chapter 34. We're going to read from verse 14 to 33. I mentioned earlier, point one is a little long, so bear with me. We're almost done. And this is where something amazing happens. The book of the law is found. The word of God is found. As a Christian, the word of God is our main thing. It's everything. It is what gives, allows us to navigate towards life to make the right decisions. The word of God is wisdom. The book of the law found. Let's look at verse 14. 
Now, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And look what the king does. Look what Josiah does in verse 19. When Josiah, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He's not trying to get naked. What does it mean when, he's tore, when he tears his robe? It's a sign of repentance. It's a sign of humility. He tore his robe. In verse 20, he gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdan, son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asaiah, the king's attendant, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king has sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huda, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written on the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah because they have forsaken me and burnt incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place, will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and his people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you'll be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took our answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. I love that line, least to the greatest, everybody. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledged themselves to it. 
The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. You know, I love this because I think it's so fitting. When they found the law and when they repented, it says God gave, God was patient. And before he was going to bring destruction, but now he's going to save them. And God, he receives us when we enter his presence with humility. Verse 27, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and his people. And because you humbled yourself before me and before your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. I mean, how amazing is this? From the least to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest, they all came together before the presence of God. That was the kind of man Josiah was. Was he young? Yes. Did it matter? No. It has nothing to do with your physical age. Age matters not. Was he a sellout to his godly convictions? No. Do not sell yourself short of your godly convictions. Amen. You must find and study and meditate on the Word of God. The book that you're holding. Yes, it's just a physical book, but it's about the letter, the spiritual letter that is written in the book. The Word is alive. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us this, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That is the word of God. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It can penetrate anything. A heart that is crooked, it can penetrate. A stubborn heart, a hardened heart, the word of God can penetrate right through it. He was at the age of 26. Most likely, they found the book of Deuteronomy right, with the story of Moses and what happened. You know, he was at the age of 26. Who here is 26? 26 and younger, around 26. He didn't just read the word, and everybody was standing, I'm sure, as they were reading the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a long book. Imagine just standing there listening, listening. You thought this was long. Chapter 32, Job chapter 32, Job chapter 37, with all the reading that we just did in Second Chronicles. You think that is long. Imagine just standing there and having reverence and listening to the word of God. He put it into action. And he brought about change, not only to his own life, but to his nation. So how dare we use the word of God, the Bible, as coasters? We throw the Bible and we treat it the way, and again, it's just a physical book, but it's what it represents. Obviously, we don't turn it into this holy thing where we you know, worship the book, but it's about who the word is from. It's from the word of God. It's the living word of God. 
he put it into action. And this, this day and age, we are blessed because we have access to so many Bibles, so many different translations that we can read and study. We have it at, in our, at our fingertips. But the question is, are our lives even affected by it? Is it even changed? Is it being transformed? Examine your life right now. Is your life being transformed by the word of God? Or is it just something that you hear go from one year to the other? Josiah, he repented. He tore his robe and he repented before God. Such a young age. I mean, such maturity. What is our excuse? Being good is not enough. Doing good things is not enough. You need to compare your life to God's holy standard, his word. Look at verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he didn't say, Psst, just a long time ago book, doesn't matter. There was true conviction. He tore his robes. And Josiah was a good man. He wanted to do good things, but being good was not enough. Before they found the word of God, he says uh, in, in, in chapter 34, verse 3 to 13, he was doing all the right things. Right? He entrusted the money to the people. He brought everyone together. But when the word of God came, I mean, being good is not enough. It's about us surrendering to the holy word of God, to his presence, to, him, to who he is. Our efforts are not good enough. Josiah wanted to show others, not just to himself, that God was a holy God. So you compare your life to God's holy word, according to his holy presence, to his holiness. Do not be a sellout. Do not be a sellout of your godly convictions. Number two, we got the long point out of the way. Bear with me, we're almost finished. Point number two is this. Are your private convictions the same as your public convictions? Are your private convictions the same as your public convictions? As Josiah was faithful in his private worship, he was faithful in his public worship. As Josiah was faithful in his private decisions, he was faithful in his public decisions. So what he did in public reflected his private. Take a look at 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 21 through 25. Josiah celebrates Passover. Okay, King Josiah then issued this order to all the people. You must celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as I require in this book of the covenant. There had not been a Passover celebration like that since the time when the judges ruled in Israel, nor throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Josiah also got rid of the mediums 
and psychics and household gods, the idols, and every other detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. Again, psychics, mediums, all that stuff that we see when we're driving on the street, even to this day, pray against it in Jesus' name. Has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. All the prince of darkness, Satan is behind all these things, mediums, psychics, people who think they know your future. They're not hearing from the voice of God. They're hearing from other spirits, and other spirits, the spirit of Satan. So you rebuke it in Jesus' name. And that's what he did. Josiah also got rid of mediums, psychics, and the household gods, the idols, and every kind of detestable practice both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws, written in the scroll that Hilkiah the priest had found in the Lord's temple. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. I mean, Job and these individuals are amazing. You know, how they're commended before God. You know, they turn to the Lord with all their heart, soul, and strength. You know, that there's never been a king. Like imagine that's being written about you. There's never been a, this person, this title, than this individual. I mean, what an honor to be written like that in the word of God. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, Josiah here announces that the Passover of the Lord will be celebrated in all of Jerusalem, right? Second Chronicles 35 or Second Kings 23. They're two different books, but different references of this story, what is happening here. Josiah, he announced that Passover will be celebrated in all of Jerusalem, to all people. Everyone played their role. Everyone had a part. They played their part. Levites, which are the priests, they're busy from morning to evening. Musicians. Right, and he's just playing night and day. Gatekeepers, I don't know, Josh will be staying there, I don't know, looking strong and tough. Other Israelites were present in Jerusalem. The entire ceremony for the Lord's Passover was completed. Antonia getting the lights wrong. I'm just kidding. She's been doing well. What Josiah as king he offered to God was not half-hearted. It was not. He gave his 100%. He gave all that he can in whatever he did, and so did the people. They followed the leadership of Josiah. In every man's Bible commentary, it says, unlike the moderate but incomplete restoration achieved by many of Judah's earlier kings, King Judah concluded that there could be no middle ground, no middle ground. Josiah destroyed all aspects of the long-standing idol worship he also went to great lengths to reinstitute proper worship of the true God. As we seek spiritual renewal, we also must strive to completely purge sinful practices from our lives. Are your private convictions the same as your public convictions? Leading to my last point, point number three, live well and finish well. Live well and finish well. Josiah truly had a humble beginning. You know, his father was murdered. He's literally like Batman, Bruce Wayne. 
but he turned and he used it for good, right? And he literally had a very messed up family. Even his grandfather was messed up. Even his sons were messed up. But you know, your life is not based on your offspring or where you come from, your upbringing. But your life is about you. And the question is, how will your life play out? Will you live well? Rather than using his pain as a reason to rebel against God, and we see that so many times. You know, kids who cause trouble, older men who cause trouble, older women who cause trouble. It comes from a hurt, an upbringing that, that, that happened, a scar that carried with them over the years. But rather than using his crooked family as a reason, as an excuse to rebel against God, Josiah went further and he went closer to the heart of God. He remained faithful throughout his life. Remember what he did in 2 Chronicles 34? He began to seek. He began to purify, destroying the pagan shrines, the astral poles, all the things, the cast images, idols, the altars of Baal. He ordered that they'll be demolished, broken down, smashed, scattered, burned, destroyed, cut down. Get rid of it. And then he began to restore he began to purify the temple, repair the temple. He entrusted the money. He was not a man who was controlled by money. He was not greedy. He hired and he restored and he inquired the word of God. And he said, it's now time to follow the word of God and do what it says. What an amazing man he was. What an amazing boy he was. Second Chronicles chapter 35, 18 to 19, on the screen it says, Never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel had ever kept a Passover as Josiah did, involving all the priests and Levites, all the people of Jerusalem, and people from all over Judah and Israel. This Passover was celebrated in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. How does Josiah's life end? How does his life end? You may be curious. He started off well. He lived well. How did his life end? Did it end well? Well, here is how he ends, his life ends. Here, here is how he dies. Josiah, he dies in battle after Josiah had finished restoring the temple. So he finishes his job, but he goes and he dies in battle, meaning he was a warrior. You know, he was a fighter. You know, he, he died swinging. But he was warned not to get involved in a battle, but for some reason, we don't know why, but he disguised himself and fought anyway. Maybe he was trying to be brave, I don't know. Maybe he got overconfident, we're not sure. Again, he's only a human being. He's not perfect. He did, he did the right things, but he's not perfect. Like us, we're not perfect. But he died swinging. That's all we know. You know, I had an amazing professor in seminary. His name was Professor Su, Chinese professor, Chinese accent, everything. Real cool guy, real outgoing. Everyone's looking at Ronnie. I don't know why, <laughs> but real cool guy. He's old and... And then I was taking his class, Systematic Theology, and then we hear that he passed away. And we find out how he passed away was 
He died while he was preaching. He had a heart attack while he was preaching. He was preaching. I mean, he literally died swinging. And just like Josiah, let us die swinging, never giving up, continue fighting to become a spiritual, mature individual. And the question is, will you finish well? How will you finish? What will be of your legacy? How will your life play out? Remember, you have one life, one chance. You know, that is a phrase that's been on my heart you know, for many years since I got the call to go to seminary in China. I was on a mission trip, and that's the border of North Korea, and one life, one chance, and you know, there comes a point in your life where you need to make a decision. You're going to live your life for God, or you're going to live your life for yourself? Am I going to pursue my own dreams, or am I going to pursue the dream that God has given me? And that phrase, one life, one chance, has been on my heart. Forget what I studied in my undergrad. Forget what I did before or what I want to do for myself, the dreams that I have for myself. But I remember I have it in my journal. As I was writing at the, at the Tumen, at the Tumen River at the border, I was watching North Koreans, they're farming. You could literally shout and you see them and they're working. And in my heart, I just got the conviction from the Holy Spirit that this is it. I felt the wind, I felt the call, and then I knew what I had to do. I knew what my life was going to be. One life, one chance for God. And I had that one defining moment in that time, in that mission trip, where I got the call of God. And ever since then, it has never been the same. My life has never been the same. One life, one chance. We have one chance in this life. And I remember calling my father, Dad, I'm going to seminary. I think I'm going to come back home and I'm going to... And he started crying for the first time. I don't see my father cry as an Asian man. I'm like, why are you crying? And I started tearing. You know, I was, I was in the bus from the airport. I was sitting in the bus and I was crying. I was telling him, you know, I'm going to do it. And then my father said, I always knew you were going to do it. I always knew that you were going to do this. I had knew when you were a baby, I got the confirmation when you're an infant. I was like, Dad, why don't you tell me that you had confirmation when I was a baby? He said, because I didn't want to be the one that influences you. It had to be God that called you. And even though I had to take a lot of detour, different paths here and there, going back and forth, deciding what I wanted to do with my life, I found it on my own with the Holy Spirit. One life, one chance. Life is very simple. You live for God or you live for yourself. That is it. There is no middle ground. You are responsible for your life. You are the one that is responsible for your actions. You are responsible for your church. You are responsible for this generation. We see all the crazy things happening in this day and age right now with the elections and with the division, with the left and the right. We see this nation is divided. But it's not about choosing a side. It's not becoming a partisan, non-partisan. It doesn't matter. Where do you stand in the conviction in the word of God? Who are you as a man and a woman of God? Do not live mindlessly.
And I'm closing with this. And you may be saying this. You may be saying, but you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what my family is like. You don't know what my children are like. But like what I said earlier, it's not about your upbringing and it's not about your offspring or your descendants. It's about you, your life. Only you can live your life for yourself. To give you some example of Josiah's grandfather, he had a grandfather named Manasseh. Let me tell you what his legacy was. What kind of descendant he came from. Manasseh, he became king at the age of 12 years old. The Bible tells us that when he became king, he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. So many years, longer than Josiah did. And what does the Bible say? The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, in verse 2, it says, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practice of the nations, the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places. His father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the bells and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temples of the Lord, which the Lord has said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his children in the fire of the valley of Ben-Hinnah, practiced divination, witchcraft, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, eyes of the Lord arousing his anger. That was his grandfather. You want to know about his father, Josiah's father? Ammon. It says he, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon worshipped and offered sacrifice to all the idols Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord. Ammon increased his guilt. Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated him in his, in his palace. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against Ammon. And they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Oh man, look at this story. What a messed up family. They both did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Just as his father Manasseh had done, the son also followed. Ammon followed. He followed the example of his father, worshiping the same idols his father had worshipped. They abandoned God, the God of their ancestors, and they refused to follow the Lord's ways. Their end, their end was death. And not a physical death, but death that was against God that rebelled against God he was assassinated in his own palace murder Josiah's father was murdered imagine at the age of eight finding out that your father was murdered I mean his sons were worse his offspring Josiah's offspring you know it says he did what was evil in the Lord's sight you know it's he did what was evil in the Lord's sight that's what it says goes on and on and on I know it's been a long closing, but hang in there with me. I mentioned their age. The Bible mentions the age of these individuals because your age is important. 
if you're in your 20s right now, in your 30s and 40s, and in your 50s, or even in your 60s, but younger you know God, the better. And how blessed you are if you know your God at a young age, if you know your God at the age of eight or seven. Many of you, you are young, you're in your 20s, and you think this is the prime time of your life to do what I want to do because this is my life and my dreams that I want to pursue. How dare we? Pursue the dream that God has in store for you. Follow the conviction that God has in store for you for it is laid out for you in the word of God. You come every week, hear the word day in, day out. How dare we waste our lives? This is not the time to do whatever you want. What a lie from the enemy it is. Stop wasting your life. Stop spending it as if it belongs to you for you are bought at a price, the price of God's one and only son who died for you by the shedding of his blood. Your time is now. It's now or never. How will your legacy play out? Number one, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart, soul, and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. Would that be your legacy? Or he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Will you serve God with all your heart? Or will be known as an evil individual who did evil in, Lord's, in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done? The ball is in your court with our eyes closed. The ball is in your court. Where will you stand before God? How will your story play out? It doesn't matter what family you come from. It doesn't matter what your children are like. This is about you right now, your life. Only you can take ownership of your life. One life, one chance. It's time. Can we pray together? Can we seek his face and invite his presence here? Age matters not. Who are you? Who are you today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you.
me up with doing everything wrong.
sell yourself short of your godly convictions are your private convictions the same as your public convictions live well and finish well how will your story play out what will be of your legacy will you finish well how will you finish make a promise to him God I don't know what my yesterday was like or the things that I've done this week But Lord, I know what I'm doing today and tomorrow. I will die swinging. I will die fighting for your kingdom and for your righteousness. I will live this one life, one life, one chance that I have for your purpose. Without your presence, God, my life has no meaning. My life is meaningless without you. I can get all the money in this world We could get all the promotions of this world. We can get all the recognitions of this world. We can accumulate so much wealth and savings in this world and popularity in this world. We could have many followers in social media. But Lord, if you're not the center, if we're not living for you, everything is in vain, is nothing, oh God. I compare everything I lost, garbage, compared to the greatness and the joy of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord and my King. Thank you God for the hope that I have today. Thank you Lord that you see our hearts and that you know us from within. Thank you that God that you are never far away. Thank you God that my frame was not hidden from you. 
that I was made in the secret place, and woven together in the depths of the earth. Thank you, God, that even if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I'm at my bed in the depths, you are there. Wherever I am, God, you are there. Your right hand will guide me. Thank you, God, that you know even before a word is on my tongue, that you know it completely, O Lord. Thank you for knowing our hearts. Thank you for knowing me. Thank you for knowing our small church. And we love you. We give all glory to your name. Blessed be your name forever and ever. And as God's people, we pray. Pray all these things. Your precious son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen.